Your Most Avid Reader by Bibi Berkey. The Women in the Woods, Chapter One. The women arrived in the night. They walked from the sea, presumably up into the fields in search of woodland where they could settle. But finding nothing suitable, continued into the early hours until they reached the edge of the vast Hindwald estate. Here, not knowing they were crossing into private land, they entered the fields on the southern tip of the estate and boldly bisected the broad pastures. Silent, barely a word passing between them and witnessed by not a single soul. Everywhere about them were glistening, Grey fields, but not the merest glimpse of woodland in any direction. They walked as though they followed a scent or even a buried memory, moving with confident, if weary, strides, never stopping to take note of the topography. Miles of flat, smooth-seeming terrain stretching to the horizon. Then, as the sun emerged... They dropped down into a glade in the bowl of which was a copse of healthy beeches and hornbeams. This would have to do. The women loosened straps across their chests and dropped their bundles, rolls of carpet containing tools and cooking pots, and removed knives and small axes, and instantly got to work hacking at the thinner trunks around them. As the sun rose, Dominic Hadley sat up in bed. His heart was running too fast. His eyes were open, uncomfortably wide. He'd heard a voice. Someone had said something to him out loud, not in a whisper, as though continuing a conversation, and it had jolted him awake. At fifteen, he usually slept the impenetrable sleep of the adolescent and never once woke in the night. But now, here he was, wide awake, and sitting up in a kind of personal storm as the voice resonated in his ear. I'm back, she had said. I've come back to you. He trembled because the voice was female but didn't belong to his mother or to his sisters. It was huskier and he was sure had a foreign accent. He knew it and yet didn't. It made him want to cry with longing. The boy waited and listened, picked up on every creak and groan in that room, but the voice did not return. Eventually he pushed himself back down under the sheet, doubting he could return to sleep. As his head touched the pillow, so a cool hand seemed to stroke his left temple, a hand familiar and comforting, and almost immediately he was dreaming about a past that he could never have actually lived. Dominic Hadley was the heir to the Hindwald estate. His father's only son, a boy on the cusp of expensive responsibility. No one argued with his suitability as the eventual master and landowner. His sisters had no particular love for the estate. His mother was supremely unconcerned with worldly matters and his father not really a countryman at heart. In fact, the entire family much preferred their townhouse in London on the leafy and pleasant Clement Street, where they woke to the clatter of the milk cart and the cry of the city vendors. 
It suited them much better than Lincolnshire, where the sky was so wide that you moved beneath it apologetically like a scurrying beetle. Maybe only Dominic himself had any real affection for their estate, and it was more like respect born from duty. He had stronger attachment to the land than any single other Hadley of his generation. His father, John Hadley Esquire, was a reluctant farmer. He had inherited the estate from a short line of similar amateur countrymen, who accrued more and more of the countryside without a second thought. If anything caught his imagination about the place, then it was the science of it, the possibility of the land for experiment, and through that, increase. The knack was to rear a son who had taken interest in farming, but also could remain a little above it. He found for his son a tutor in London, a Mr Nicholas Rouse, who, by chance, hailed from Lincolnshire. The young man was a scholar of some pedigree, but from an impecunious family. He turned out to be more interested in politics than he was science, and so the relationship was never a comfortable one between father and tutor, tutor and son. Dominic's mother, Anne Hadley, was nearly a foot taller than her husband, and looked down on him and most men from her imperious height. She was striking in face and mind. It seemed sometimes that only the minutiae of theology managed to ignite any degree of enthusiasm in her. Dominic never doubted who actually ran Hindwald. Since infanthood he had watched his father retreat into written words and his mother emerge rather scornfully into the vacated position of authority. Everyone in the family played along with the pretense that John Hadley was in charge or even capable of it. I shall wander in the grounds today, Dominic Hadley announced to his tutor the morning of his wakeful night. He was in a fever to get out and scour the land for something that he knew to be there. I think not, said Rouse, with much practised tedium. The boy was listless. That was nothing new. I shall, said Master Hadley, with rising conviction. He surely didn't have to explain himself. Rouse glared at the boy with his lips pursed and his eyes overhung by angry brows. They stood in this way for a moment, and then the tutor simply shrugged, and the boy left on that signal. He ran from the room and down the great stone staircase and out of the main doors into a world that was far too large for him, and so eternally exciting. Rouse stood at the window and watched, and not for the first time sensed his animosity rise until he could feel it constricting his breath. Whether it was prompted by the boy, his father, this limitless land or the unfairness of the world, he himself didn't even know. The boy ran down through the parkland that formed the immediate boundary to the house and carried on running into the fields where his father's men were working bringing water to the crops. The day was hot and the men's shirts were loose and hanging over their breeches. Though it was still June, the grass was hay and the soil was crumbling. The men stopped, grateful for the distraction as the boy hurtled past and wiped their shining foreheads and rested their hands on their hips. Dominic ran on. 
Convinced of his route and headed south to the outlying fields where the pigs were housed in a row of cabins well away from the main house, at his mother's insistence. Here his father's farm manager, Nathan Gentle, was passing the time of day with the herdsman. Gentle trailed off as the boy sped past. <laughs> what ails him? he asked and the men shook their heads fondly over the impetuosity of young people. But Gentle watched the boy all the same, his curiosity aroused. He saw Dominic duck under the railing that divided the arable land from the beginning of the woodland and watched him disappear into the darkness beneath the trees. At last, Dominic stopped. He had been darting in amongst the trees and stumbled now and again because the ground sloped downwards here. It was part of a hollow known as Fair Spinney. It was a large wooded bowl, far from dense, which meant the sun shone through it easily and was why it was known to be so fair, he supposed. Halfway down the slope he heard voices and stopped at once. He pressed his back against a tree trunk and waited for his breath to calm. What was he doing here, now that he had been forced to stop running? He couldn't for the life of him explain why he'd come here in the first place. Then he heard it again. Laughter. Women's laughter. And they were singing too, and talking in some low, gritty language that he didn't recognise. The hubbub was coming from down at the base of the hollow, a mere twenty or so feet from where he was hiding behind a trunk. It was ungentlemanly, he knew, to spy on others, but it was nowhere near as enormous a crime as squatting on someone else's land. As a rule, nobody ever came here, except, of course, his father's gamekeepers, who regularly patrolled to the outer reaches of the estate. Dominic's favourite of his father's employees, the young farm manager Nathan Gentle, was bound to come out this way sooner or later, to check for poachers' traps. Then the game would be up for whoever was down there. Enough time had passed. His moment had arrived. Dominic wanted to see who owned these voices, who dared to settle on his father's land. He tipped forward away from the tree, twisted and fell lithely into a crouch. From this position he could see better through the young trunks all the way to the base of the hollow. His eyes rested on a patch of packed earth exposed to the sun, like a small stage waiting for an actor. His heart was in a riot and he felt ashamed and belittled by spying, and yet he couldn't move. And then she stepped into the sunlight. A woman, odd and beautiful and wrong, entirely wrong for this little English spinny. She was slim but sturdy and dressed in red, thickly woven linen skirt gathered at her waist. Her bodice was of the same crude fabric but white-edged, with plain heavy lace at the cuffs and neck. She stood in this sunlit scrap of stage, and Dominic could see that she was resting, that she had held some kind of small axe in her hand. She dropped it and raised her head to the sky, 
and closed her eyes as if imbibing the light. He held his breath. The woman finally tipped her head forward and, as though it was merely part of a routine, raised her hands to her chest, her fingers arriving at the small ties holding the front of the bodice together. Quickly she undid them and removed the bodice entirely, the garment slipping from her shoulders as though it had been torn in two. Dominic was startled when, without knowing that it was even there, he saw a broad black plait drop from behind her head, across her neck and down the cleft of her naked breasts. It too seemed to be resting, fitting perfectly in that valley. Dominic had never seen hair like it, as dark as it, such a mass of it. He couldn't move for marvelling at the sight. She was so beautiful, he sobbed once with surprise. The pain in his eyes was from the strain of longing. He was craving that warmth, that softness. Someone grabbed him violently by the hair at his nape he called out and the woods spun round him as he lost his footing he reached terrified for his stinging scalp in a flailing attempt to break free and run away but the hand held him strongly and in the confusion he merely brought more agony on himself to add to its already huge burden of fear and shame please he cried please don't hurt me i won't tell anyone what i saw The male narrator was Mark Lingwood. Your Most Avid Reader was written by Bibi Berkey with sound editing by Mark Lingwood. It was made by Tempest Productions and brought to you with the kind support of Rattlesnake Books, an established seller of books, maps, ephemera, art and curiosities Rattlesnake Books can be found on Instagram, Etsy, Abe Books and Biblio. Thank you.